If you're just joining us or maybe you've missed a, a, a week or two, we're going through the Gospel of Mark still early on in the, uh, the conflict in the story is, is escalating quickly to the point now where the Pharisees and Jesus are completely at odds. And it really is the, the, the pinnacle in some ways of Jesus' conflict with this this party uh, called the Pharisees. It's been building over the last few weeks. First, Jesus uh, helped a man who was paralyzed stand up and walk, but instead of just saying stand up and walk, Jesus said, I forgive you your sins. Your sins are forgiven. Pharisees acknowledged or recognized that only God can forgive sins. Next, Jesus feasted with sinners and tax collectors, and the Pharisees said, our law says we're not allowed to go in their houses to associate with them. How can you be doing this? Last week, Pharisees confront him, or we looked at the story of the Pharisees confronting him on the subject of fasting. We fast. Even John the Baptist's disciples fast. Why don't your disciples fast? And now this week we come to the issue of the Sabbath. And they say, why are you doing these things on the Sabbath? Our laws don't allow us to do these things on the Sabbath. A couple of questions around this, and we'll look at who the Pharisees are and what the Sabbath is. But this really needs to lead us into a deeper discussion, and that is one on what is required of Jesus' disciples of true followers of God, because the Pharisees were not just evil, wicked people who were trying to be mean to others. That's our association with them. The Pharisees genuinely wanted to follow God's commandments. And yet, for whatever reasons, their life, the path that they had followed, had taken them away from God. It's a question for all of our lives. Has the life that we've followed, the place where we find ourselves, has it gone away from knowing God? From truly loving God? Trusting God with all of our life? One Sabbath, this passage begins, verse 23, chapter 2. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. 
And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh Lord, may we see today wonderful things that you have revealed to us in your word. In your word, you have peeled back some of the layers of heaven, of your mind, that we could see things that we otherwise could not understand or know. Help us to believe and to draw near to you today. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So don't be a Pharisee, right? Don't be a a hypocrite is what that means for us today. Don't be one who's a whitewashed tomb, looks good on the outside, but in the inside is wasting away. Pharisee, is just a negative word in all of its connotations today. We have nothing good to say about Pharisees. But the Pharisees in Jesus' day were not that bad of people, really. In fact, most people look to the Pharisees to be the ones who were holding on to the Jewish faith when everything else around them seemed to be crumbling. The Pharisees weren't the rich and powerful, The rich and powerful were the ones who were associated more with the party of the Sadducees. They were sort of the aristocrats of the day. I always have to be careful when I say that word because I'm tempted to say the Disney word, aristocats. (laughs) The aristocrats, I said it correctly. The aristocrats of the day, they were the Sadducees. You see, they were the ones who were associated more with the priestly family, the ones who were in Jerusalem and had been there now for hundreds of years since the return from exile, the ones who were, like today, being in Washington, D.C., around the money and around the power. And money and power are not evil in and of themselves, but they oftentimes lead to corruption of heart and to leaning on things for security other than God. So much so that the Sadducees had become known as the party who didn't believe in the resurrection and the party of really uh, human responsibility. You can do it. Just pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You're, You're struggling with something? Well, then just fix it. Find a way. Here's the way you should be living. The Pharisees, on the other hand were the party of the common people oftentimes. Now the Pharisees had a lineage as well, and these things have tradition in Jewish culture 
that uh, some of the historians bring out where the Sadducees sort of derived from more of this priestly family. The Pharisees tended to derive from more of the scribes. The scribes were the educated ones. Sometimes there's overlapping, but not always. And so the scribes oftentimes were educated in order to serve the purposes of the powerful. So we even read earlier in Mark the scribes of the Pharisees. There's a, a connection oftentimes with these groups, the scribes and the Pharisees, and they were concerned particularly with reading the scriptures and reading the explanation of the scriptures that had been passed down through tradition and knowing the details of the laws. They probably weren't the most exciting of people. Like most lawyers. They know the rules, but they aren't necessarily the most interesting to talk with. But they had formed a following because they knew the word of God and the traditions that had surrounded around it. The people, the common people of the Jewish faith, they looked more to the Pharisees than they did to the Sadducees in the same way that we today don't particularly look to the top 1% oftentimes. We're suspicious of their motives. They had even started to collude with the Roman authorities. And so you hear mention of the party of the Herodians, another party. The Herodians were the sellouts, the true sellouts. Herod, King Herod had aligned himself fully with the, the Roman Empire. And he was the Roman Empire's pawn. He wasn't even a true Jew by birth. And so there were the tax collectors who tended to support the Herodians. They were a part of the Herodians. Now, it's kind of significant. You probably read right over it. But can you imagine the the Pharisees who hated all of these power-hungry people and the, the, the people in power when they realized that Jesus was a threat to them, who did they partner up with? They went to the Herodians. Both the Herodians and the Pharisees recognized that Jesus was a threat to the established powers of the day, and Jesus was communicating to them and to us that the established powers of the day were both on wrong tracks, or maybe even all three of them, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Herodians primarily, were on a track that was leading people away from God. The Pharisees bow out of the story for a time as they perhaps are colluding and plotting with the Herodians. We don't hear mention of them for a little while until later in the letter. And, and then in chapter 7, they come back and Jesus speaks of them and calls them hypocrites. And he says, these are the people who honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Now I've combined two stories here. They're really two separate stories, 
both of them dealing with what was acceptable on the Sabbath because the Sabbath, the Sabbath is, is, was and is and continues to be at the center of controversy among God's people. Some of you have heard teaching on Sabbath. Probably most of you have not because most pastors shy away from it even more than they shy away from preaching on fasting. But I'm feeling bold these days. So we'll go into it. Really, I didn't want to preach on either of these subjects. But when you preach straight through the scriptures, God doesn't let you out of it. Go back to Exodus chapter 20. If you want to, you can turn with me there. The book of Exodus tells the story of God rescuing the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who by this time had become a numerous people. Hundreds of thousands, if not perhaps over a million people, who were now living in slavery in Egypt, and God delivered them, rescued them out of that slavery by miracles. In such a way that no person, no other nation could have even delivered them in that way, but God delivered them in order to, not only to deliver them as a people, but to give us a picture of what Jesus was to do in delivering us from our sins. The slavery of that sin. And when God made them a people, before He even put a king over them, when He made them a people, and He said, I will be your God, and you will be my people, and He gave them a set of laws, of commandments. First, very simple, the Ten Commandments. And then, as Exodus and Leviticus plays out, a further explanation of what all those commandments mean. He gave them this interesting commandment, the fourth commandment, to keep one day sacred. Now, all kinds of religions have sacred spaces, and he gave the Jews sacred spaces in making a tabernacle and then establishing the city of Jerusalem and putting the temple there. All kinds of religions have sacred spaces, but few before this time, and really primarily just the offshoots of Judaism, the legitimate offshoot of Christianity and then the illegitimate offshoots of various forms, both ancient and modern, identify days or times as being sacred, as set apart from the Lord. Our word holiday comes from the concept of a holy day, a sacred day, a day made special. Now today it's expanded into much more uh, than just these holy days. But in the beginning it referred to this holy day for the, the Lord had made all things in six days, but on the seventh day it rested, he explained. The commandment picks up on that. He says, verse 8, chapter 20, verse 8 of Exodus, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you should labor. And do all your work. 
but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock, interestingly, or the sojourner who is within your gates. Presumably, by the way, the sojourners were not followers of God. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Six days, he says, do all of your work. And on the seventh day, you should set it apart. Not do the things you do in the other six days, which begs the question, what should we do on that seventh day? Still a really tough question to ask. I ask it myself oftentimes. What is that seventh day made for? Well, it's very clear that when God gave this command to them, he has in mind the physical labor that the people were doing in Egypt that was completely overwhelming for them. That Pharaoh had made their work intentionally difficult taking away even the basic materials they needed to do the building projects that he was wanting them to do, so that they had to go out and gather the materials to the point where they were broken and they could not do any more. The burden was just too heavy on them. So God said, look, you're going to have to work. Work is a reality of life. Work oftentimes is toilsome and hard. And not what you prefer to be doing. But on this seventh day, you need to break from it. There may be crops that look like they need to be harvested, but stop. Regardless of what it is, at sunset on this day, the the Friday in their case, and through to the sunset the next day, a very definite point in time to point in time, Stop. I know what you need and I will provide for it. I know that you need this rest even more than you need to harvest the rest of the grain. I know that you need to be refreshed by coming together and hearing the teaching of the word, which is exactly what the people were still doing in Jesus' time and why they were in the synagogues on the Sabbath, and why Jesus came to the synagogues to teach. Because they needed that refreshment that comes from being reminded of the wondrous works that God had done on their behalf in the past, and the wondrous works that God was continuing to do now. Isn't it interesting that Jesus doesn't correct anybody for going to the synagogues when clearly the the, the Pharisees and the other teachers were leading them in wrong paths? I find one of the most fascinating stories in all the Bible to be the story of the widow who goes to give her two small coins in the temple. 
And Jesus praises her for giving these two small coins. It was all she had, he says. And we tend to focus on the fact that it was all she had and she was giving it. But I, thought, I find it fascinating that she was praising, he, Jesus was praising this widow for giving to the very institution that was going to orchestrate his own crucifixion. You ever thought about it in that way? There was something about the gathering of God's people together on that Sabbath day that was significant and that Jesus was not undermining in the least bit. There was something significant of the practice of giving to the church or to these institutions even when they were corrupted perhaps or definitely for just practicing generosity but perhaps even with the hope of these institutions turning around. Now we should be wise with our money and look into the credibility of the institutions we give to, certainly. But there was something significant about this gathering together on the Lord's day, on the Sabbath day for worship, that Jesus knew that His people needed. Now, the Sabbath, more than that, was one of three key distinguishing marks of the Jewish people. Something that they did that was very distinct from all the other nations around them. Those three things are, one, the Jewish people circumcised their male Babies and also any converts that male converts that came into their midst. The Jewish people ate certain foods and didn't eat certain other foods. Now this was practiced in other places around them as well, and so it wasn't a con- con- complete distinguishing mark. But still, it was a distinguishing mark, and so you find pig remains even to this day in places that are just outside of Jewish inhabitants, and yet inside you don't find any remains of pigs or other unclean animals. The third thing is this Sabbath day of rest. Now listen, all of you know the the struggles of getting your work done in a week. The the allure of this Sunday before the work week starts, jumping ahead of myself a little bit, assuming that you know that the Christian Sabbath now is celebrated on Sunday. I'll talk about that a little bit more. The allure of using, tapping into that little margin so that we can get ahead of the game or maybe catch up on the week before. But what God was saying to His people then, and I will argue that He continues to say now is, that we need this rest even more than it being a distinguishing mark. The Pharisees recognized this distinguishing mark and they wanted to make sure that everybody else recognized this about the Jewish people as well and about themselves. This was a significant mark and even to this day, God uses this as a mark of the Christian People, You may ask the question, it's the natural question, I thought Jesus fulfilled all of his 
all of the requirements of the law and that the Sabbath wasn't relevant for us today. I mean, doesn't Paul make the argument that circumcision is no longer required for followers of Christ? Doesn't the Apostle Peter experience a vision from the Lord and come back and communicate to the people that all of this food now has been made clean? We eat the food that was declared unclean now. We don't have to circumcise our babies, but it's an option if we want to. The Jewish people continue to practice circumcision, but Paul, over and over in his letters, makes it a point that that's not required because Christ has offered the final bloody sacrifice on our behalf. We no longer have to do these other two things. And yet when you come to the issue of Sabbath, you never see Jesus or any of the other apostles in their writings saying that the Sabbath is not still useful for God's people. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You are still human and you need to rest from your works. You need to still gather together. In fact, the writer of Hebrews makes the comment, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Now he explains this fully because he explains that the true rest that we need from our works is found in the work that Christ did on our behalf and our resting fully in that work. If we rest in our own works, earning us favor with God, which was the primary error that Jesus pointed out with the Pharisees, that they look to their own work to justify themselves before God. If we look to that our own work, then we will never have true rest. But he also says, there remains this Sabbath rest from your work, your physical labors. There's question about what that verse means. But the combination of no one ever in the New Testament overturning the concept of Sabbath like it was clearly overturned for unclean foods and circumcision combined with this remaining Sabbath day rest convinces me that we still need and God still gives us a gift of rest from our work one day in seven. Now here's the rub. When you start to get into the details of what you can do and what you can't do on that day, it gets really dangerous. And the Jews in that time, and it's continued on to this day, entered into places of adding to the law that put them further away from God. And it's interesting that in these two stories, you have two distinct examples of things that were clearly against the scriptural law, and yet God made exception. 
this story that he tells. David was on the run from King Saul. He and his band, it was a motley crew of a band of outcasts. They were hungry. And they went to the priest who was in the tabernacle and they said, hey, do you have any bread? The priest said, no, but we've got the show bread, these 12 loaves that were only to sit in the tabernacle for a week and then be eaten only by the priests. And David says, give me that. There was no small consequence for this. Saul came and killed not only that priest who gave it to him, but his entire family, save one. Jesus says, look, this is the law of the Bible, but I'm telling you that human need trumps these specific commandments. This commandment was given for your benefit, but you would choose to withhold the nourishment that people need in order to obey the letter of the law. And raising the stakes even more, he says, look, the Son of Man... This term, by the way, Son of Man, in the Gospels, only ever refers to Jesus. He's saying, look, I am Lord even of the Sabbath. I can tell you when you can make exceptions and when you can't. And need trumps the letter of the law in this case. And in other cases as well, so don't judge my disciples because they were hungry. Look, could they have ordered their day and picked some ahead of time on Saturday and been better prepared? Probably. But Jesus is concerned for nurturing their still growing and small faith. And he doesn't harm even a bruised reed, a, a, a soft, tender reed in the process of making his disciples follow him. And he recognizes that the Pharisees' heart is far from God. And they're the ones who need the correction here rather than his disciples. He goes on with his second story. And in this case, he's saying, look, the law you've constructed around the biblical law is leading people astray. He says, you have defined what people can do on the Sabbath. Here's what they did. They said, look, if somebody's health is failing and getting worse, a doctor can attend to that. But if they're just holding on, the doctor can't do anything else. This was a specific law written down. You still see it today. You can't do anything until the end of the day. And Jesus just calls them out on this. He says, this is foolish. I came to heal. God cares about healing. Healing is to be done on the Sabbath. It's more than just a work of necessity in this case. It is a work of good. To save life or to kill it. I'm telling you, always and forever, God desired to save the life. To save the life. Now listen, are you a Pharisee? Am I a Pharisee? Do we all tend toward this type of activity toward God? Following the rules, even following rules that we've heard from others or made ourselves that sort of keep us from breaking inside rules? 
How do you know if you're a Pharisee? Let me suggest just one simple question that you can ask at the end of your day when you pray in the morning, whenever you pray. If after doing all the right things, do you ask God the question, where's my reward? Do you get frustrated with God after doing all the things you intended to do? Maybe you just had one good day. Been a really bad week, but you had one good day and and you come to the end of it and you say to God, can't you give me a little something for this? Where's my reward? Maybe it's a, a full year. You stopped doing something that had control of you for a full year. And you say to God, man, I wish you would have turned things around by now. Where's my reward? I think this is a question that really characterized the Pharisees. God, we've been sitting here under oppression for centuries now. Where's our reward? We're, we're doing all the things we think we should be doing. Where's my reward? And here's the danger of that reward question. When Jesus shows up, in your life to give you what you need. The Pharisees didn't recognize him. The Pharisees went to plot with people that they never associated with. The tax collectors. The king's people said, we want to kill him. When the real Jesus shows up in your life to forgive you of your sins and bring healing to you, You don't know what to do with him. Because you're so far from God and trying. Trying to do the things that you thought he wanted you to do. Now some people argue that the Sabbath is a legalistic form of following God. And look, it can lead to that. And there's a real danger in it. Look at the Pharisees. There's all kinds of modern day examples of the same thing people just wanting the reward. But when we follow God in His commandments, knowing that He desires good for us in those commandments, and our reward is in knowing Him far more than any kind of earthly or or material reward, in delighting in the work that Jesus has done to rescue us out of the slavery of our sin, then following God's commandments works to push us back toward a heart of God. And having a heart that loves Jesus pushes us back to wanting and to follow God's commandments to the point, like King David said, I delight in your law. But they've got to both be there to work together and to push us to having a heart of love for God and then following His commands that pushes us back to having the heart of God. And if we just think we've got one without the other, if we think that we can have a heart of God without following His commands, Scriptures say, you never knew God. If we think we can follow His commands without truly having a a heart love for Him, 
Jesus warns, you never knew me. I think Jesus actually had compassion and love for the Pharisees. They get a raw deal today. They were trying, but Jesus knew that what needed, what was needed to cut through the hardness of their heart was a direct confrontation. And you see evidence of some of the Pharisees coming to follow Jesus later after his resurrection. Some of the time tough love is needed most often with the people who appear most righteous but really have no heart for God. Oftentimes, patience and leading people like Jesus led his disciple is needed with people who we know are far from God and whose behavior doesn't look anything like what we would expect from Christians. Jesus knows what each of us needs. And just as he gave the Sabbath knowing that we needed it, he gives us exactly what we need. There are other questions. What should we do on the Sabbath? Do we need to do it on Sunday? The Christian Sabbath has been celebrated on Sunday for centuries, really from the time of the early church. And you can make a a loose argument even from Scripture that this was happening on Sunday as the day of celebration for when Jesus rose from the dead and gave us rest from our sins. That's why we do it now today. It's a gift to us to have this day of rest. Won't you receive the gift with no strings attached, knowing that God gave it to you, knowing what you need. Let's pray. Father, we have a list of things that we ask of you. And we confess that we get frustrated when you don't give us the things that we think we need. Father, you knew we needed a day of rest. Thank you for giving us that day and for making it a perpetual gift. Help us, Lord, to rest on this day and also to give the sojourners among us rest. Help us to give our spouses rest and our children rest, our friends rest. Help us to delight in this gift and on this day. Celebrate it because it is a good gift from you. Thank you, Jesus, that you are our greater rest. Rest from all of our working, striving for your love. And that you have said that you love us even with our sin and shortcomings. We pray these things in your name. Amen.